to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. Oh, the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Ryan House, a psychologist from Pasadena, California, USA. And I'm Brooke Lewis from the Vancouver, Canada area, area, and I'm a registered clinical counselor. It's a good start today. And if those people didn't hear, she's cracking her knuckles at the same time. <laughs> that was a good little butter up. Uh, I'm Joanna Boyd, registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver area. I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from the Vancouver area as well. And you're Joanna's brother. 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 That's right. Remember uh, back in the day, crossing the the border? Remember that, Joe? Back when the border was open, (laughs) heading down to Seattle or something. And uh, I was driving. I was there with my two sisters, Joanna and Carolyn. And uh, the border agent, the American border agent's like, how do you know each other? I'm like, I was kind of flustered a bit, you know? I'm like, oh, we're we're sisters. (laughs) And he's like, oh. Uh. And everyone burst out laughing. I think he laughed as well. He's like, oh, really? Go ahead. Yeah. On your way now. Oh, that's a good one. That was a, yeah, we all laughed pretty hard. Something about the nerves that even going up to the border, you have nothing to hide. You still get the the nervousness. Oh, yeah. Well, if, yeah, going down to the States, like they can, they can turn us away. Come back to Canada. It's easy. You can say whatever you want. You have to let us back in. We're citizens. Sometimes they don't really ask much. They ask, where do you live? Yeah. Like, that's it. Uh, speaking of the states and Canada, we have this uh, kind of a national holiday this weekend. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this, but there's a game down here, football that we play, and not mm. not soccer. That's different. This is football, and that's. Uh, we have the NFL and the, the big championship game is called the Super Bowl. And it seems like the whole country kind of gathers together and throws parties and uh, and watches the Super Bowl. Some people watch for the, the, the game itself. Some just watch the commercials and some are there for the halftime show. So mm. are, you, are you guys familiar with this? No, it's the first I'm hearing of it. <laughs> we have uh, our Canadian Football League. We have something called the Great Cup. Ah. Back in November, so after that, football season's done. No more football for us. But yeah, no, it's a huge deal up here as well. I'm a, a really big Seahawk fan, actually. Do you do you uh, do you have a team that you follow? I know uh, you're in Los Angeles, but I know you're an Oregon guy, so you like your, uh, your Oregon Ducks. Like, yeah, like I'm, your college I'm a, ball. Oregon Ducks, and the only pro team in Oregon is the Trailblazers. So I really grew up on them. But when I moved here. Um, I guess I've watched a little bit of the Rams, but uh, now the Chargers are kind of a good team down here. I kind of like them. They have a, a former Oregon Duck playing quarterback for them. So I kind of got into that this season. So, and of course, they're, they're a horrible team. They're no, nowhere near the, the Super Bowl, but uh, but it'll be fun to watch. It's always fun to see kind of the, I like the commercials in the Super Bowl. It's kind of fun. They go all, all out on those. Yeah. So, the commercials are a big deal up here too. Yeah. We love Super Bowl commercials, but we don't get to see some of the American commercials. Mm. So it's like you wait until the game is over the next day, and then you can like start YouTubing all of the American commercials that you didn't see up here. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's was fun. it last year? I think it was. Uh, it got me because I'm a dog person, but I think it was the Bud- Budweiser commercial. Yeah. With the golden retriever, oh, it got me. Mm. Ah, uh, that sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. And yeah. and then also, I kind of like the one time where I like to make some good snacks. You know, make some nachos or, you know, I have some some famous to me famous in my household meatballs that uh, I like to make in the slow cooker. Kind of fun. Nice. The little weenies. Those are fun too. This year, we're going to do some beef dips. Beef, beef dip, dip and Caesar salad, maybe. Okay, nice. Good. Fine dining. That'll be a good thing, yeah. I think typically, Chris and Joanna, you guys go to a 
real hootenahanny party. <laughs> yeah, we usually um, we switch between two locations each year, but um, or yeah, every year. And it's yeah, we have a tailgate in just someone's driveway and have some drinks and some food, and then we play touch football, a game of touch football, and then we get inside for the game. And there's usually halftime chili that our Chris and I's brother Jeff makes, and uh, it's great. That's a big group of us. So it's yeah, then, hot dogs. And... Chris, do you sometimes wear something special for this day? Yeah. Um, um, you wear football pants, like <laughs> game-worn Seahawk football pants. There we go. Nothing, nothing not as yeah. usual weird stuff. Someday, yeah, a... people will will go through a little timeline of. Chris is kind of famous for wearing things. Not only the ugly Christmas sweaters, there are other things that he wears and gets famous for them. So yeah, yes. sometime. Yeah, we're gonna miss the get together this year. So oh. it's definitely one of those things we're sad about on top of the, all this COVID stuff, but next year. Next year. Yeah. Yes, it'll be a very small Super Bowl here too, for sure. Well, gosh. We might as well get to our topic, our ambush for the evening. The ambush is where three of us don't know what the topic is. One of us does know what the topic is. They share the topic and the three of us just have to react, kind of flying by the seat of our pants there, figuring out how to respond to this question or topic. And uh, we do this because it's kind of like a therapy session, right? Clients come in and we don't know what they're going to talk about or want to talk about that day. So we've got to be prepared. So, so it's kind of fun for us. So who's on, who's on for tonight? Me. Okay. Joanna, Joanna's on ta on the task for tonight. So are you ready for it? Send on, send me the question. Will you? All right, here it comes. All the way down from Canada. Okay. It made it across the border. We made it through the, <laughs> the, the, the treacherous border there. Okay, here's what it says. Mail bush time. Uh, mail bush is an ambush that comes from the mail, from listener mail. So mail bush time. After last week's podcast, we received a question from one of our viewers. Here it is. What are the similarities and differences between OCD and OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, and can someone have both? Uh, okay, well, this is a toughie because uh, I wanted to do some research on this first, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's see if we can make a, uh, make a full podcast out of this, all right? You look so shocked, Brooke. I am. I thought this was happening like next week or the week after. Yeah, Ryan I did had... mention that he wanted to, uh, yeah. to do it in a few weeks, but I decided to snatch it. So sneaky. Yeah. What do you think, Joanna? Well, wait a second. What? What happened? Whoa. Where, where oh, am I? Oh, hello. Who I, are you? I, I was just, I was just, you know, it's the end of the day here. I was going to sign on to Netflix to watch Queen's Gamut. And uh, oh, good <laughs> here. where am I? <laughs> well, it just so happens I, I, I recognize you. Oh, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. What's hey. up, man? I just, just jumped on here. I, my Hi. What are you doing? I'm doing great. Good to see yeah. you. All right. Um, We're the friends here. <laughs> We're the friends. Well, up there in the corner is Joanna Boyd. All right. Therapist. Joanna. Hi, Martin. Canada. Hi. And then we have Chris Boyd, her brother. Uh, also nice from Vancouver area, Canada. And we have Brooke Lewis here from okay. Canada as well. Hi, Martin. All right. Nice Hello to there. meet you. Thanks for uh, inviting me here by accident, I guess. Yeah. What, what, yeah. what are we doing here? Well, it's funny because you're a friend of mine and you're a psychologist, right? Last I checked, you're my license is still intact. You, uh, <laughs> you actually work at a clinic down here in Southern California called the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Center, right? Of Southern California, that's right, yep. Southern California. And if I'm not mistaken, because this could be really good timing for us, because if I'm not mistaken, you're, you kind of uh, have a specialization in OCD, don't you? We do a lot of work with OCD. It's probably want to say maybe a half, half of the people that we work with and help are dealing with OCD or anxiety in some form or fashion. So yeah, what's, what's, uh, what's, what's the situation here? 
Well, I must say it's very serendipitous that you showed up because we got this question was sprung on us. So okay, thank All right. you, well, thank Queen's you for Gambit being will here. Be there. Queen's Gambit will be there tomorrow night for me. <laughs> it, it is a that is a good show. I do. Sure. I finished it a few weeks ago. All right, I'll 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 catch up soon. Yeah, but not That's tonight. Great. So Ryan, do you want to share the question with him? Of course, sure. Um, Queen's Gambit may have a little OCD in there too. Um, I was just thinking that, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, we were talking about personality disorders last week. Ah. And uh, we mentioned, just briefly mentioned um, among the personality disorders, there's you know, just a personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. We also mentioned uh, OCPD. And, ah. uh, and we talked just for a sentence or two about the fact that OCD and OCPD are different disorders, but uh, can look similar, but uh, we didn't really elaborate on that. Yeah. The listener wrote in and said, hey, tell me more about the difference between the two. And, um, and can someone have both? So let's just spend some time talking OCD, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that's, uh, I've only been doing that all day, so I'll just kind of <laughs> keep it going. So. Whatever sure. works. That would be great. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's uh, a number of ways to answer that question. But well, the first thing I would say is, you know, uh, who, whoever's idea it was back in APA or whoever wrote the DSM and said, you know, let's have one thing called obsessive compulsive disorder. And we're going to have another thing in our book called obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Sure didn't uh, do any favors for a lot of people because a lot of people suffering from one or the other or both who are, you know, well, what is it? And having to read online and figure it out. And these are just lay people who are suffering. And uh, here we are a bunch of professionals and, you know, still trying to figure it out. So, uh, you know, poor move, maybe that can be rectified at some point, but let's see if we can make sense of it the way it is. Um, here's the main thing I would say is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, really, the hallmark of it is in the title, obsessions and compulsions. And what do we, an obsession is basically, it's an unwanted thought, an intrusive thought or image that a person, for the most part, recognizes is irrational, um, that they kind of can't get out of their head or just is causing a lot of anxiety, making them feel like something is very uncertain in their life. We've here heard about, you know, people who are worried about germs and contamination, big theme this year. People have thoughts that they might harm themselves, jump off a bridge, they might stab their mom in the back. Um, people who are worried that they ran over someone with their car, just these unwanted intrusive thoughts. And then the compulsions, which is basically anything that someone does either in their own head or behaviorally to neutralize, minimize, or get rid of the anxiety that those thoughts bring up. That's really what OCD is. Um, and I would, I would differentiate that from OCPD because um, someone with a, the personality disorder, if you will, may not have intrusive, unwanted, irrational thoughts and may not be doing compulsions. Really the hallmark of OCPD is, is the general theme of rigidity and inflexibility, which uh, is gonna affect a lot, of per, a lot of aspects of a person's life. It's not just so much about anxiety, if you will. And I think the other thing we could say is, you know, OCD is we sort of think of that as an acute issue. In the old DSM, it was, you know, considered an axis one issue, which means it's something that you can have as a symptom, but that um, can be treated and will be minimized. Um, the personality disorders and what I was taught, um, I don't know if Ryan mentioned this before, but uh, Ryan was one of my former supervisors and mentors back in the day. So he taught me everything I know except for everything he disagrees with. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it was you, Ryan, but one of the things I always remembered about personality disorders, maybe folks talked about it last week, is what makes something a personality disorder is the three Ps, right? It's problematic and it's persistent and it's pervasive. And that can be said of OCPD is there's the rigidity, the inflexibility, a tendency towards perfectionism, and that can bleed into all areas of a person's life, their relationships, their personal coping, their work, and, um, uh, and their morality. It just, there's oftentimes a, a tendency towards kind of hoarding or discarding. And just, there's a tendency with people with OCPD, OCPD who just so hyper-focused on work and productivity 
often at the expense of their personal relationships. And so again, it's problematic, clearly. OCD is as well, but here's where OCPD and OCD are different is the other two Ps. It's, it's pervasive. OCPD affects so many areas of a person's life. OCD may be uh, a little bit more isolated, but if it's more severe, can be uh, more pervasive. And then OCPD is persistent. Um, it will be prolonged over time. That's not to say that it can't be worked on and improved and treated, but for the most part, it's gonna be more an enduring pattern, whereas OCD can be very much acute. Sometimes people come in and out of it. Uh, sometimes people will have it for a while, but with the right treatment can definitely get better. So that's another area in which they're different despite the similarity in names. And the last thing I would just say is, um, if you look up what is the best treatment for uh, OCPD, what you'll probably see is cognitive behavior therapy or psychodynamic therapy. But, you know, funny that if you look up pretty much a lot of things in the, uh, a lot of disorders in the DSM, you say, what's the treatment for that? They'll probably say cognitive behavior therapy, psychodynamic therapy. So, and that's not wrong. It's just, it's just, it's a little bit broad. It's a little bit vague. If you look up treatment for OCD, you will very clearly see the gold standard treatment is something called exposure with response prevention, which is a subset of cognitive behavior therapy. So it's very, very specific. The research is very clear. And basically what that is in a nutshell, exposure with response prevention, uh, with, prevent, with, yeah, with response prevention is exposure means we're confronting the fears thoughts, images that the obsessions that are causing the discomfort and anxiety. And the response prevention basically means we're trying to have our, our, our clients and patients cut back the rituals and the compulsions and anything they are doing to avoid or reduce the anxiety caused by those thoughts. And um, that's a very, very brief summary, but um, that just the treatment of choice as shown by research and understood clinically um, is very distinct and very clear for OCD, not so much necessarily for OCPD. So Martin, that's kind of how uh, that. I gotta say, I'm so glad that you stumbled upon this because that was one of the best mini lectures I've heard on. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, well, I'm that... happy to help. I'm glad I stumbled in here too. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah, that's so, great. So just to be clear on the on the uh, on the exposure and response prevention, just just so we can make it concrete for some people, let's say that let's say that I am afraid of germs and I wash my hands every day. You know, I have to wash them uh, 18 times uh, in order for them to get clean, and I have to do that. You know, every hour because I'm always afraid I'm going to uh, become infected or, or something like that. Right. Right. So so tell me about how exposure and response prevention works for for something like that. Right. Yeah. Pretty classic. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm going to guess, Ryan, if we're talking about, you know, this is, of, of course, purely hypothetical. Oh, uh, of course. But if you're dealing with contamin a contamination form of OCD is what you described is um, not only are you doing uh, very ritualistic and kind of um, sort of very prescribed way of washing your hands, you're probably also wanting to avoid touching lots of things. Mm -hmm. uh, probably things perceived to be dirty, contaminated, germ infested, high, uh, high volume, high traffic areas, doorknobs, light switches, trash cans, uh, toilets, keys, cell phones, you know, toilet handles, yeah. um, oh, the worst, right? Um, so uh, the exposure piece would be, you know, we gotta, we gotta start trying to touch some of those things um, rather than avoiding them. Right, so we expose and confront rather than avoid, and I'll get more into the the because there's a little bit more nuance to it than that, mm -hmm. and then obviously you know the re the response prevention would be we got to cut back the washing. Now, you know if someone's really suffering from OCD, they hear that and they say, "Are you kidding me?" You know, first of all, hell no, that sounds all of that sounds awful, and secondly, um, yeah, sure, if it were that easy. I'm not stupid, I would do it, right? And so then we got to start to retreat back and say, okay, hold on, you know, you know we, can, we just realistically can never ask someone to do something that they can't do. But there are always ways to kind of dip our toes in the water, wade into something, you know, um, if someone's afraid of heights, we're not gonna go to, you know, 
the top of the Space Needle or the top of the Sky Slide here in downtown LA, we start with the second floor or the third floor or something and confront that directly until, repeatedly until, hmm, I realize I can handle this. The anxiety or the fear or whatever I'm afraid of happening isn't actually happening or isn't that bad. And with repetition, it gets better and better. And then I move on to a higher level and so on and so forth. And so what that might look like for you, Ryan, hypothetical Ryan, that is, uh, would be, you know, maybe we don't go too quick to, you know, touching the door handle on the front of the building where your office is. Ooh, we don't, we don't know who's going on in there. Bankers and other therapists. Not good things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, but you know, okay, maybe there's uh, a doorknob in your own house. That's okay. Well, at least, you know, it's just people in your, in your family, your kids. Oh, hold on. My kids. I don't know what they've been touching. Okay. Well, maybe there's a doorknob that, you know, they never touch in the closet or something. So there's always a hierarchy that we want to build and try to tackle systematically from the start going up. And then you can say the same thing on the response prevention end is, look, if someone's washing their hands uh, 18 times after, after e each, uh, yeah. Uh, contact with something contaminated, quote unquote, well, can we trim it to 16? You know, can we, uh, sometimes people will, will get the, the ritual has built up so much where they're not, it's not just the amount of times they're washing their hands, they're washing all the way up their wrists past their elbows and each time. And so they're like, okay, well, maybe the goal is rather than first tackling the amount of times we're washing is to the amount of you know, anatomical geography that we're washing and kind of trim that down. Or maybe it's the amount of time spent washing, or maybe we track the amount of times you've washed on a given day and we kind of try to slim that back. So there's a number of ways to do it. And we just try to be methodical and humane about it, but obviously with a goal in mind, which is to trim this whole thing back. Got it. Yeah, wow, that sounds, sounds effective. So you you find that since this is the gold standard, gold standard that uh, if people can kind of be um, responsive to that, you know, you develop a treatment plan and you have them kind of go out and, and practice these things and, and work on going up a higher level or washing fewer times or whatever those things might be that uh, eventually you can start to, to knock that down and get them to a more manageable level, huh? Absolutely. I mean, you know, look, there's always different things that can get in the way of, sure. you know, treatment being being effective and, and streamlined. But, you know, I'll quote uh, the great philosopher LeBron James. Uh, I think you were talking about sports earlier. Right? He's this big icon here in L.A. now. And if, if you see these interviews after these playoff games and you know, say, hey, LeBron, how, how, how did how did you guys manage to pull off that win? And he'll, he'll say experience is the best teacher. And mm -hmm. and it's really true. Right. And uh, the trap that I think uh, a lot of well-meaning therapists can, can fall into with, if you're sitting across from someone dealing with OCD is to try to deal with their thoughts and try to reason with it. Oh, come on, it's, you really think you're, you're gonna get sick or contaminated if you touch that? I mean, come on, how many people have touched that all day? That doesn't work. Someone, they're, they're bright enough to do that, right? Um, so that's a trap. We can't just deal with the thoughts. It's the actual experience of like testing it, stretching the comfort zone and realizing, okay, maybe it's not that bad or maybe I can tolerate it. Or maybe actually I find by purposely and intentionally uh, testing my feared outcome that it doesn't actually happen. That's where the change happens. So. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point though. I, I have a kind of a random offshoot question for you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I do some work. LeBron James, you can make the case. LeBron is better than Michael Jordan. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> if that's your question. I think right now you could really make a strong case. Not, not, sorry, not quite. Okay. Not right. quite. Yeah. Right. So, okay. um, <laughs> I do some work with self-destructive behaviors. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's some literature or controversy around eating disorders and whether or not maybe they would actually fall into the realm of OCD. Right. I was just wondering sort of your thoughts on that, because there are so many similarities between those obsessions and compulsions. There totally are. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll stay in my lane because I, I definitely do not consider myself an eating disorder specialist, but, but I know enough to, to resonate with what you're saying, because, you know, a lot of times if, if people are avoiding eating, even if it's for different reasons, it's not necessarily for an intrusive thought 
uh, in the same way that, that an obsession would be is you kind of systematically have to have them building up their quantity as well as variety of, of foods. I think what, what I would say is where there's real overlap in um, what we now call ARFID, mm -hmm. uh, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, right? Because uh, that's definitely related to food where people are restricting both the amount and the range of foods they eat. Um, but it, 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 there's a feeling to it that feels much more uh, avoidant and, and in an anxiety disorder kind of way, more so than I think you could probably make the case for something like uh, you know, anorexia or bulimia, where the emphasis isn't so much on anxiety. It may be more about rigidity, perfectionism, or body image. Um, mm -hmm. So, but that, that's kind of how I would respond to that. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. Yeah. I was yeah. just kind of curious on your take. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Martin, just to get back to the, the end of that question, which is about whether or not OCPD and OCD can kind of coexist. A person can have both of those, right? I would um, say so. Yes. And, and yeah, I don't, and I don't know, but I would imagine, I guess we're going to get into like etiology of this, you know, like the origins of things, but you know, if someone already is starting with a more rigid personality, I could see how maybe OCD could, could tag along with that. I guess that depends on, though, where we believe OCD and OCPD come from, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think there is some research to show, and, and, you know, this probably can cut across the board with the sort of personality disorder realm that, um, you know, a, a lot of those, that, that class of issue is, you know, tend to be, have a lot of uh, etiology and early childhood experiences, um, family of origin or, and or childhood trauma, those kinds of things. Um, not so much the case for OCD. Um, we see a lot of people who come from, you know, very, very, you know, for the most part, uh, well communicative and high functioning supportive uh, family systems. Um, I, I, now, that's not to say that someone probably couldn't develop OCPD in, in an environment we would describe similarly, but um, generally my understanding of how we would think about uh, the origins of things would be different in that regard. Um, I think there's also research to show that there's more uh, heritability uh, for OCD. Not so much that, you know, it's by no means a one-to-one -one correlation, but there can be a tendency, a predisposition yeah. uh, that, that, that uh, can run along the bloodlines. Okay. Runs um, in families, huh? Potentially. Can. Yeah. Can. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so someone might find themselves both having a kind of a rigid personality, as you're mentioning, that might be the, uh, the OCPD component, and then also more specific um, OCD symptomatology as well, right? Yeah, look, uh, you know, nothing really needs to be mutually exclusive. I mean, we work yeah. with people who would meet criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder in addition to OCD, and that can be a real double whammy. Um, no surprise that people with OCD may be dealing with depression. Um, and so you've got to kind of tackle that two-headed monster. Uh, you know, we see people who are dealing with uh, OCD in many forms, harm-related thoughts, contamination, moral scrupulosity, in addition to ADHD. And so it can be challenging in so many ways to get people to actually be doing the work of uh, exposure with response prevention, which is really going to be necessary to try to make some headway. So, yes, you know, this it, it can be a, a tricky mesh of uh, and constellation of things for for anyone, and it's not unique to OCD uh, by any means. I uh, just to kind of speak to the, the 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 sociology of some of this, you know, a lot of a lot of things, uh, a lot of disorders really are kind of uh, co-opted by just casual speech from people a lot of these oh, days, yeah. you know, right. so a lot of people like to talk about, oh, I'm so OCD about this or I'm, right. you know, that's ADD or, you know, whatever that might be. And I remember my first real experience of, of really seeing how really devastating OCD can be for some people. I was in the, back in the nineties, I was working in, in a hospital and a man came in who had, can, had had in his head that he had to count to a million mm. and he, he just kept going and he was uh, he'd been up for like four days and just couldn't let himself go to sleep and he was yeah. you know falling apart because his body was falling apart because he just felt like he had to get right. to a million and uh I mean poor guy I just I just saw the distress and and 
It's so, it can be so debilitating, can't it? It's, it's no joke for real. And, you know, I think it, it's unfortunate that it, it's, it's, it sort of can be thrown around as something funny to joke about, oh, my roommate is so OCD about her closet and oh, I'm so OCD about my, you know, makeup or whatever. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, we sometimes say that in the, in the sort of specialist and sufferer community is that, you know, it's not, uh, it's not an adjective, you know, it's, it's a noun. And, and it's a real disorder that people can suffer with. Uh, there's some statistic out there that the average OCD sufferer uh, will, will deal with symptoms for something like 15 years before um, getting adequate specialized treatment. Uh, I like to think that's getting cut back down, but I, I don't know. So, but you know, to speak to what you uh, observed with that person, Ryan, it's, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, speaking of how things can overlap or look like other things, you know, someone could see that and, you know, clinician or not, and could say, this person looks like they're psychotic. Um, do they have schizophrenia? Are they talking to themselves? They're kind of, maybe they're repeating something themselves. So it's uh, getting that understanding what it is clearly and being able to tease things apart is critical because otherwise someone could be, you know, mistreated, put in the wrong program, prescribed uh, a medication that's going to be very damaging to them. Uh, the one that always concerns me is um, people with harm OCD, uh, which is unwanted intrusive thoughts of harming someone else. And so if I had, you know, I just, and I, I came to someone's office and they didn't, they didn't know much about OCD or what harm OCD was. And I said, I'm having these thoughts of, you know, um, shooting my, my brother in the, in the back, you know, and, and it's, it's causing me anxiety. And so clearly for me, it's an unwanted intrusive thought. That's what makes it OCD. But if it's not, if I'm not wrestling with it, if it's egocentric to use the old term, if it's like, no, I'm actually thinking about it. That's different. That's not OCD. It's causing me distress to have that thought. Right. But, you know, to the untrained eye and ear, they might say, I gotta, I gotta get this person to the hospital or I gotta, you know, put this person on hold. Right. Yeah. And the person's dealing with OCD. They're not actually a threat to anyone. They're just, they're suffering but yeah. they're not a danger, you know, and that, that always concerns me. You know? I, there, one that I, I've only heard of, and I've, for some reason in the last five years, I've heard of this multiple times. I had never heard of it beforehand. It's, it's someone who is like, they're, they're, they're driving, maybe driving home from work or something, but they're afraid that maybe they had like hurt someone. Maybe they had, had like hit someone and didn't notice. Right. They right. had run over someone or something one way. So they have to kind of circle back and make sure, okay, that's okay. Keep going. Right. Well, wait, maybe I hurt someone. So I have to go back. That's right. You've heard of this before too. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And people will drive around the block multiple times and double check like, oh wait, that, I kind of hit a bump. Was that look in the mirror? I don't see anyone. Okay. Oh, whew. you know what? I better just go around to check one more time. And then pretty soon that becomes a pattern. Right. And it's interesting. I've had people say, uh, you folks up there north of the border, you drive on the right side or the left side? We drive on the on the right side. On the we right side. Skate, we actually skate around. Yeah, we, don't we actually that's right. toboggan everywhere. That's right. That's right. I was kidding. No, same as you guys. Yeah. yeah same same as okay. okay. So you know, we, you typically, you know, when you're learning to drive for you folks and for us, right? It's like, and you 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 know, you, you make your turns, right? And you would think making a right turn causes less anxiety than making a left turn, right? Because making a right turn, you're not crossing any traffic, right? Left turn, you got to wait and then and look pedestrian. Um, I've had people with this form of OCD say, you know what, it's, it's really the right turns that cause more anxiety than the left turns. Because with the left turn, you, it, it's a wider turn and you can see more of what's going on. So I'm more sure that I'm, that I'm not hitting anybody. With a right turn, it's a sharp turn. And how do I know there's not someone on a, uh, you know, there's some skater coming out or a bicycle that just zoomed in that, you know, if I had felt something, it's a sharp right turn. Maybe did I hit someone? I don't know. And it, that uncertainty just drives them out. So it's just it's sort of this interesting paradox. Um, so yeah, it's real. Yeah. You know, for sure. I find that uh, when I work with clients who have those types of intrusive thoughts and OCD thoughts, the ones that are so concerned about harming others, they have uh, an amazing moral code um, set oh, yeah. of values. Right? There's often a lot of empathy and compassion there. So the fact it's so distressing to them is often an indicator that these are people who 
um, are not capable of, of doing such things. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a question for you is uh, the sky bridge or sky uh, slide in LA. Uh -huh. Is it, uh, what is that? And have you been on it before? <laughs> Speak, speaking of, he's like, let me, let me go back to something not related. But, uh, yeah. So in the, 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 I think it's still, maybe now it's the second tallest building in downtown LA. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's, is it the U.S. Bank Tower? I don't know, Ryan, yeah. you know. It's the uh, one the aliens blew up in Independence Day. That's right, Independence oh, Day. Yeah. They yeah. blew up. They rebuilt it subsequently. And they put a little, it, it's, you can Google it, but there's, there's, it's, I don't know if it's plexiglass or acrylic or something where you go to this floor way at the top and they put you in this little like burlap sack and you slide down. It, it's, it, it's, it's over in like, like, two seconds oh, yeah. and then you slide down on the side of the building onto wow. some you know balcony one or yeah. two floors down and that no i have not done it but i'd like to at some point actually yeah and we it should all do that together you've done it right yeah i did it with my kids it was uh it was the best one and a half seconds of uh, the day <laughs> <laughs> it's a high building um just one other comment too um there's a lot of distress involved in these in these situations and um, you work uh, at a clinic that specializes in this type of treatment. So I imagine it's, uh, it could be pretty challenging at times because it's gotta be so gradual, right? Because if someone is feeling flooded, overwhelmed, um, I'm assuming they may disengage from treatment and, and or uh, stop, stop coming, right? Um, so any comments on that? Like I, uh, in terms of, um, are there some people that uh, will maybe disengage from from, from the therapeutic process because the distress is too high? Is that a barrier at times um, for you and your colleagues? It, it can be. Um, I mean, I think that's part of, uh, of how we need to do our job and do it well is to, um, I would say strike the balance between really explaining the rationale and making the case for continuing and that if we continue to do this work, it's uncomfortable, absolutely, uh, but over time, it's it's going to get better. Uh, so we sort of have to be that kind of coach, pushing people a little bit, but at the same time, never without empathy and never without uh, the humility to sort of say, you know what, hey, we can stay at this point as long as we need to. Um, I can only go at at the pace of the person I'm trying to work with, and um, sometimes we've got to feel that out together. Sometimes even clients we work with themselves sort of say, oh yeah, sure. Um, I could do that. I could touch that without washing for five minutes. And then they try it. And it's like, Oh, that was a lot harder than I expected. No problem. Okay. Well, we, we, we dial back somehow. We got to do, we just got to find a starting point to get some gains. And, um, you know, the case I, I try to make is that, you know, Hey, I get it. This is hard. I make no promises that this is going to be easy or comfortable. In fact, I will promise that it won't be, but what I will promise you is that what you've been doing isn't working which is an easy case to make. Um, and what you've been doing with these compulsions and ritualizing is it gives you a sense of relief just for the short term, but in the longer term, it's prolonging getting better if not making it worse. So I, I sort of flip it on its head and sometimes I'll tell people what, what we're doing and engaging with OCD is you're trading short-term gain for longer-term pain that's, that's, that's not going to, it's just not what we want in the long term. And what we're trying to do is flip it around with exposure with response prevention, which is we're going to confront some, we're going to do something uncomfortable. So it's short-term pain, but that's in the service of longer term gain. And that's much rather, you know, what I, what I help people with. So sometimes we just have to find ways to, you know, motivate people to stick with it. And um, some people are just ready and they will go for it and a lot of, not a lot of other things going on. And that's great. They've been suffering for a long time or they're just very insightful about it. Other people, they may, you know, they want to get better, but they may just kind of not quite be ready. And we've just, or there may be other barriers, other mental health issues, other health issues. And, you know, we, we just have to um, be sensitive to where, where any given person is at. Uh Martin, I get, I, I can totally see exposure with response prevention when it comes to compulsions because behaviors are so kind of tangible, right? But when it comes to obsessions, I'm, I'm curious about how that works because like, let's say you have someone who, um, you know, when they walk into a room, they need to count all the objects in the room, right? Ah, mm -hmm. um, 
when they are, uh, you know, when they when they look in their in their cupboard, they need to name everything that's in the cupboard. You know, something that's more like uh, I just feel this need to do this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it feels pretty automatic. Mm -hmm. How how do you expose someone to to not indulging the impulse? I guess. Right. So so it's interesting. Um... And again, obviously, this is a hypothetical situation. So, but what I'd be wondering is, what you said is it, it feels very automatic. But typically, what we find is if we really ask the right questions and kind of zero in and hone in, is there's typically some thought in there that is causing the discomfort. Maybe it's if I don't uh, count everything in the room, um, I will never get married. Or if I don't count everything in the room. Um, then my mom is going to die or okay. something like that, right? And, and so sometimes it may not be apparent and sometimes they may not even be able to identify it yet. Okay. Um, but that's why, so asking the questions like, so what, so hold on, let's, so really what would happen? Walk me through this. You know, if you walked in, like if you came into my office and you didn't count, like what, what, what would happen? Sometimes you really have to pause and think about like, well, I'd worry this would happen. And then sometimes they right off the bat, they're like, God, that sounds so ridiculous. Yes. But, that in and of itself doesn't change it. So I think long story short, what I would say is uh, if it is, if it fits the profile of OCD there, there will be some unwanted thought in there. It may not be blaring in your face yes. and, and uh, readily, you know, uh, ready for insight uh, right off the bat. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess does mindfulness kind of pay, uh, play into that a bit? So noticing those thoughts non-judgmentally or curiosity. Because I find that with folks who are extremely analytical, the solution is often not being analytical, it's being behavioral. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what you're talking about too, is trying to notice, okay, this is happening with my mind. How do I pivot to something that can help calm myself down physiologically and, and um, stick to the plan a bit, right? Just so you don't take the bait and, and sure. continue on with those compulsions. I would say it's, it's critical um, because... Yeah. You can make the case, especially with something like OCD, because the nature of the thoughts can be so illogical, bizarre, and, and the person knows it, or rather 99% of the person knows it. And 1% of the person says, but what if, you know, and if, if we're able to educate from the mindfulness perspective, uh, as you said, Chris, and be able to have them recognize that, okay, thoughts, we all have weird, random thoughts that don't make sense. We all have dreams that happen when we're asleep that make no sense, flying, showing up to class without under, underpants on or whatever, you know, and um, a lot of it's garbage. A lot of it's just random popcorn, you know, free association stuff, as the old Freudians would say, right? It's just, you know, stuff, stuff comes up. And once people recognize that, that a lot of it's nonsense, that sometimes helps realize that, I'm, okay, I keep having this thought about drowning my newborn baby it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. It can be a totally random thing. And the only reason that keeps it going in my head is because I'm worrying about it and placing meaning on it. Right. And so it's spot on, you know, the mindfulness is like, hold on, can we distance from it and recognize it? It's a thought, it's an image. It's not a pleasant one, but there it is. And I don't have to believe in it. I don't have to put stock in it, you know, yeah. And that you sometimes that. is, a, is yeah. a linchpin for then doing the exposure with response prevention. So it, they, they very much uh, um, cope, you know, our teammates here. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Sorry to, um, when you mentioned that, even for, I feel like not enough women talk about that for new mothers about those thoughts about wanting to harm their kids or having that, that thought that come up and it's really distressing for people, but it's, I think part of the anxiety that that comes from being a new mother, maybe postpartum mm -hmm. anxiety or whatnot. Right. Um, I was going to ask you when it comes to when you talked about OCD to harm, is that what you called it or harm OCD, harm yeah. OCD? Yeah. If, if it's, would it be anything related to OCD? If someone has irrational thoughts about wanting to harm themselves, like not necessarily um, a typical self-harming behavior, like cutting oneself or whatnot. Um, but if it's, you know, sticking one's finger in a candle or just weird yeah, a bit oh, yeah. are the ordinary things. Would that be like, mm, maybe something is going on there, OCD? Because I didn't even think about mm -hmm. that. In my yeah, work. I mean, harm OCD can be unwanted thoughts of harm to someone else or to oneself. 
Yeah. You know, we, uh, our, our office, uh, there's kind of like this, um, I shouldn't, th- I shouldn't say this to three Canadians, but there's like a little kind of man-made canal. It's really a sad excuse for a river, but we call it the LA river, you know? And, and so there's a little bridge you got to drive over, you know, to get from the freeway to our office. And, you know, we've been, you know, I've had, you know, a couple people over the years that would say like, I just, I drove, I drove, drove over this bridge dozens, hundreds of times. And then just one time I had this random thought like, huh, it would be so easy to just park and jump off the bridge. Mm-hmm. I don't want to jump off the bridge, but I could do it. I don't want to, but why am I thinking about it? Wait, maybe, do I actually want to? Maybe I think I don't want to, but because why am I thinking about it? And that's where it starts, right? Oh, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, that's my radar would go in that direction. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I tend to even think about worst case scenarios myself. Like what if I were to, yeah, slip here or drop here and go downstairs or something. And I, I don't think that's anything more to be concerned about, but I think it's almost natural for us sometimes to think about these scenarios and you're like, Whoa, where did that come from? And for sure, well, that was weird. But anyways, I think, well, we get- well, you know, it's related to that is sometimes there's a fear that we don't have control over our own impulses. Mm. And I've had people who say, you know, I'm at, uh, I'm, I'm in my car, another driving thing. We live in LA, so everything has to do with driving, you know, and I'm at, a, I'm at a, a, an intersection at the, uh, at a red light. And what if I just, I, I'm, I'm anxious that I'm going to take my foot off the brake and just go into oncoming traffic. And that's an obsession, you know, and then they start avoiding driving certain intersections. And then that spreads to driving altogether, perhaps. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had people who said, you know, I'm, I'm worried I'm, I'm in a meeting with coworkers um, who are of an opposite gender or race. And I'm worried I'm going to say some offensive slur. I totally would never do that. And that's totally wrong. But like, what if I just said it? And I'm worried I'm going to say it because they, they, they have fears that like, it's just going to come out of me either because that's, I'm actually a secret bigot and I'm fooling myself or because I just don't have control over my, maybe I have a tick or something like that. Mm. So um, that can cause a lot of anxiety and avoidance too. Martin, you come up with really great examples. I just wanted to point that out. You're really like helping, I think, uh, normalize for a lot of our listeners the thoughts or or patterns they might notice in themselves or other people. These things are so common and yet we don't necessarily, we hear about them as therapists, but we don't necessarily share them with our friends or family members. Mm -hmm. And you're coming up with so many great ones that I've heard numerous times over the years. So I, I just wanted to share that. I do have a, a question yeah. on your thoughts for, for treatment. Like, uh, do you place a big role on medication for OCD? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, a lot of studies often say therapy and medication is kind of the best course of action. Sure. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I trained as a psychologist, not as a physician. So I'll, I'll own my bias because uh, I've just seen therapy without medication be very effective in a lot of cases. Um, Definitely will embrace limitations though, that there are certain cases where people are in so much distress that they're really not able to engage in treatment in the way that they can really benefit from, or we're kind of just not quite able to make some headway. And so I'm by no means opposed to it. Um, It's, it can be both and not either, or I think just, I would just sort of couch that within a spectrum of, you know, if, if, you know, sometimes it's funny when I feel like we're, we're doing work with someone and I feel like they're, we're actually making good progress and they would say the same. And then they say, Hey, do you think I should try medications? And I would sort of say, well, usually that's, you know, if you're getting better without it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's more the opposite on the very severe end of the spectrum. If someone, like I said, if they're really not functioning um, you know, if they, we really should be seeing them more than once a week or more than that. And kind of tough to get traction, then then that's more where I think you could definitely make a strong case for it. But then there's just the element of personal choice. Some people are, I don't want anything to do with meds. Some people will say, hey, whatever works, you know? So there's a lot of people who have been taking medications but haven't done the right therapy and they want to get in and okay, I read about ERP, exposure with response prevention or whatever. I want to do that. And I want to be able to get back off my meds at some point. Cause I've been taking them for 13 years and I haven't really kicked this issue. So mm-hmm. we kind of see it all. 
Is it still SSRIs that are kind of the, the treatment of choice there, the medication of choice? Well, we should have you be ambushed by a psychiatrist uh, next week, Ryan, perhaps. But um, there, uh, there are a couple SSRIs in particular that I think have uh, stronger uh, research findings. I'm blanking on the names at the moment. Um, but um, And there's, there's only a few. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, what I would say is um, the benzodiazepines were where we want to be concerned, right? Because they're real yeah. fast acting, habit forming, and they basically conserve the same function as a compulsion. It's to neutralize the anxiety. And so if someone is, even if they're doing exposure with response prevention, but they're taking benzos, you know, Ativan, Xanax, uh, Clonopin, something like that, it actually, the research is very strong on this. It inhibits the new learning um, mm -hmm. uh, and the testing of these feared uh, outcomes. And so that can get in the way. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Martin, uh, EMDR, it's another, um, you know, a common therapeutic technique. And um, it's a bit of a, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of clients have, have, have heard, heard it and often request it. I know I've done it uh, sometimes with clients with OCD. Would, um, do you use, utilize that technique at all at your clinic? Uh, we do not. Yeah. Um, I'm not aware of research for EMDR support for OCD. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say that it, can, that it can't be helpful anecdotally. Um, and just, I, I've never been trained in EMDR formally. So I, I, it's, it's, uh, I can't speak too much to it. I, I know that it was sort of originally developed more for trauma survivors. But throughout, since I was in graduate school until now, it's sort of become uh, EMDR for everything kind of thing. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, in, in, in my circles of, of OCD specialists, um, it's, it's all about ERP. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Thanks. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. One more question here, Martin, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You've been very, very generous, but. It's all good. Um, you know, when, when someone comes in with a, let's say a phobia, like a simple phobia, right? There's oftentimes, yeah. there's oftentimes a meaning. There's oftentimes a why for that, you know? Oh, you're afraid, you know, you're terrified of dogs. Well, let's talk about why that's, why is it, why are you afraid of dogs? You're afraid of heights? Well, what is that about? You know, people kind of look to where that comes from. Is it, it at any point in, in the, uh, in the, your intakes and kind of assessing what people are, are dealing with. You know, if someone has a, a germ phobia, phobia or, or not a germ phobia, you know, an OCD about germs, uh, an OCD response to germs or compulsion or anything. Are you, are you often looking at like, why, why that? Why, why are you afraid of that you just ran over somebody with your car? Why are you afraid that this came up? And kind of looking at the why of these things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Spoken like a true psychoanalyst. <laughs> is that too much about the thoughts there? Is that or no? No, it's not. A, it's just I. I like to rib Ryan about this stuff because we've <laughs> been going at it for seventeen years, or whatever. But you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in both and, right? I mean, uh, but but I would say this. I mean, it. it I'm always curious because I want to know. Uh, I want to know when someone developed a certain unwanted thought, anxiety, and or ritual. Um, because yeah, there may be certain events, certain experiences, certain periods of life, certain formative experiences that color, uh, both the onset. And I think maybe what you're asking more specifically, Ryan, is why that, yes. why am I anxious about germs? And this person is anxious about, uh, going to hell if they have a sexual thought. And that person is anxious about, uh, you know, driving over a pedestrian. Um, yes. and, um, you know, this, I'm going to sound like such a CBT person, um, but, you know, ultimately I'm more concerned with helping the person uh, have relief and get them better. And I, I have found over time, and I probably wouldn't have said this earlier on in my training, uh, the why is, is, is actually less important than the how in terms of, of the treatment and getting them better. It's not to say that it's not important because oftentimes there are very important clues um, as to what was going on in a certain time. Um, but, but ultimately that, as far as I'm is concerned is in service of developing a hierarchy, a hierarchy, a conceptualization and the treatment plan arises naturally from that. I think what I would say is in a lot of cases though, um, is, you know, kind of what, what 
you brought up, Joanna, is uh, you know perinatal um, OCD, newborn, uh, newly minted mothers. Um, I wrote an article about this on our website a few years ago that um, kind of got kicked around. Is just you know if I'm a newly minted mother, I don't know, you know maybe some, some of you are, but you know or have been, you know, and you, you have this precious, innocent, helpless thing that that I just love. What do I love and care about and cherish? and feel more responsible for than anything in the world is this child of mine. And with a tendency towards OCD, it can latch onto that which is most important to us. Um, and so sometimes we see that happening with like, and I'm underslept and all these things. And what's the thing that I'm so focused on, the anxiety and the intrusive thoughts can latch onto that because it's vulnerable. For other people, um, there's people kind of OCD about sexual orientation. Um, you know, that I, I'm, as far as I know, I'm straight. I've always been attracted to women, but what if I'm actually gay? And it's not even that I have a problem with someone being gay or that, you know, my family would accept me and all that. It's just, but what if I'm just living a lie? And then what else am I lying to myself about? And that's an obsession. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes there can be the flavor of like, well, but that's my identity is in being, I don't know, a, a certain way of being masculine or a certain way of being a man around women or, or I'm a straight guy. That's just who I am. And um, so th that's how I would answer that, Ryan, is that, you know, OCD can latch on to that, which is sort of uh, of most importance or of high importance to a person. Um, so there's definitely a room for an exploration of values there as well. Nice. Thank you, Martin. So, Those watching on YouTube will now see Chris, who is going down the sky. There it is. Sky slide in downtown Los Angeles. Is that the Chris? Most, the most thrilling second and a half. Too, of much, too much hair to be Chris. Chris. Yeah, <laughs> too much hair. At first, it looked like he had a bag over his head. I was really confused. I was like, what is happening in your photo? <laughs> right, right on. You got footage of you and your kids doing that? I do. I do. I don't have my Zoom background, but I do have some pictures of that. I think you got to post it on the uh, the, uh, the YouTube channel here. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll yeah. Right next to the, the, the footage of, of Chris sliding down. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, guys, I think, uh, gosh, this has been this has been very educational. The most educational hour of my day here, for sure. I want to thank Martin Shaw. Thank you so much. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure. Wonderful. Anytime. The Any other thing we can talk about another time, you let me know. Oh, we'll we'll pick your brain. Oh. I think you have yeah. you have many more things to discuss. Yeah, we'll um, figure something. I'm going to link to. Um, I did a, a a storytelling event a few years back. Oh yeah. Called Moments of Meaning, where I had therapists telling like 10 minute stories about some important things that happened in their in their therapy sessions. I did two different two different segments of these. One in like 2014, 15, and one in like 2016. And Martin is the only person who who spoke in both of them, and they're oh. both excellent, excellent stories. So I'm going to link to that, and uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you were really awesome. Ah, man with the vision up there, you know. Well, I think was, I think you 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 came just like tonight. You came uh, with your A game, so I really appreciate this, Martin. Uh, whatever's helpful. I hope uh, someone listening can benefit from what we're talking about, and uh, yeah, appreciate uh, you having me here. Absolutely. Martin Shaw, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Center of Southern California, right? That's right. Yep. Great. So, Thanks for coming. Hopefully thank you, you so much for coming. Thank you. Yeah, enjoy yeah, the Queen's you. Gambit. Yeah. Nice to meet you all. Enjoy the Super Bowl, if you know what that is up there. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Um, Actually, I think I saw this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts. It was ranked the number one podcast of therapists from Canada talking about American football. So oh, really? <laughs> keep up what you're doing. Perfect. Yeah. Nice to be number one. Hey, what we're aiming for. Exactly. Hey, yeah. Martin, is it okay if we, if, are you comfortable if we take a quick picture? To, oh, yeah. Uh, that's great. I was I'm just going to take a picture too. of the screen. So there you go. Oh, we can everyone. do a screenshot too. We could. That is very smart, but. That's good. We're good. <laughs> yes. Look for our All people. Right. It'll be on our Facebook page. So okay, likewise. You, yeah. you can like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, or YouTube. 
Send your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. That's where tonight's topic came from. Someone sent a question to us and we answered it tonight. It was awesome. Look at this. We had an expert here telling us uh, all the great knowledge. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two or 12. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.